When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Hello. Welcome to High Theory. Welcome to High Theory. Today's episode is a really, really special one because it is our birthday episode. And that has several connotations. Kim, would you explain the connotations? Sharonik and I were born on the same day. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the same day of the year, yes. <laughs> okay, but the podcast has been going for two years as well, and we are very excited to celebrate our two collaborators who have been with us for the past four months and to honor the birth of their STEM series into the world, which will be coming at the end of August. So we're going to talk about birthdays. But before that, we're going to ask our two amazing collaborators to introduce themselves. Julia, would you mind going first? Hi, I'm Julia Arian Martins. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Michigan in the Department of Comparative Literature. And I would say I do comparative media studies. I study the conversation between the internet and contemporary women's fiction in the US. And if you haven't noticed already, Julia has been doing the painstaking work of transcribing our episodes, which are being added to our website as we speak, for which we are really grateful. Okay, Nathan, would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Nathan Kim, and I am a senior at Yale University, graduating this fall. I'm double majoring in the Ethnicity, Race, and Migration program and the Statistics and Data Science program. So far this year, I've mostly been in Korea for a study abroad program, and now I'm just hanging out and doing a few remote activities like these. Nathan has done the amazing work of starting our Instagram and making super cool infographics about the internet. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> the internet. My name is Kim. Can you just sound a little more enthusiastic about this <laughs> project that we have done for two years? Right, my name is Kim Adams. I am a postdoctoral fellow. I did work at Stanford. Now I'm going to work at Penn State, but I'm in some weird floaty ground in the middle, which is actually Belfast, Maine. And I'm in a house with very few walls. My more humdrum introduction would be that currently I am a rising seventh year PhD candidate at the Department of English at NYU. I work on literary rhetoric and economic thought and the public humanities writ large. 
And yes, I do have an NYU Public Humanities Fellowship where I'm going to be a curatorial fellow at the Smithsonian, for which I'm beyond excited. I actually have had literal dreams about it. Okay, so August 1st, 2022, what the heck are birthdays? Wait, wait, let, let's, let's back I... up for a second. <laughs> so, so the first question is, what the, what the heck are birthdays? Yes. Right. yes. But my, the, the quote-unquote answer is that I, I've, I currently have are about like, like our individual birthdays, like about what happened on October 3rd, et cetera. Okay. So would that, would that be, yeah. Let me rephrase the question. What the heck are our birthdays famous for? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, drum roll, please. Let's start with August 1st, which is uh, the birthday of our two beloved hosts. Herman Melville, who's the author of the famed American novel Moby Dick, was also born on this day. And also in the literary world, August 1st is the publication date of A Game of Thrones, the first installment in the legendary series A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin. Mm. So right. game, what, yes. what I'm getting is people born on this day have written really huge baggy compendious <laughs> things yes. uh, does that mean we're destined to do Some... immense literary undertakings i mean funnily enough my dissertation is probably going to be one of the shortest that nyu english has ever had so we'll see um, i don't and... believe that nathan what about your and julia's birthdays Okay, my birthday is October 3rd, and interestingly, I found this out today, but October 3rd is the canonical founding day of the nation of Korea, because in 2033 BC, the first dynasty of Korea is said to have been founded on this date. Of course, it's a bit hard to tell for certain what happened or when it happened, but the story goes that the first king on this day descended from heaven and began the Gojoseon dynasty. Nice. So you yeah. share a birthday with an entire nation. Yeah, the wording is super interesting because actually in Korea, the, the whole nation shares the birthday of January 1st, as in well, January 1st, everybody just turns a year older. So huh. there's another fun fact. Well, wait, <laughs> can you explain that a bit more? How does that work? Everybody's birthday is the same day? Yeah, we, we have our birthdays, which are the days we were born. And then when we calculate our ages, then we go back to just what year we were born. So effectively, huh. we're just calculating it based on January 1st. The other kind of interesting thing about Korean birthdays is that when people are born, they start counting at one. So the day you're born, you're one years old. So that's uh, resulted in much confusion, those two things between international travelers and <laughs> Korean citizens. Okay, uh, our last birthday. Yes, um, Julia's birthday. For Julia. So Julia's born on December 7th. It's unavoidable to mention this, but this is a date that President Roosevelt said will live in infamy. <laughs> <laughs> As the day America was attacked by Pearl Harbor and marked America's formal entrance into World War II. I also learned today that December 7th is actually also the date that the U.S. entered World War I. In non-war-related news, December 7th is also <laughs> relevant for a few famous uh, Western thinkers, including being the birth date of famed linguist Noam Chomsky and the death date of their own philosopher, politician, and Cicero. Yeah, when Nathan like asked, he was like, oh, what day is your birthday? I'm like collecting fun facts about people's birthday. And I just like, I woke up and I looked at it and it was like the first thing on my phone. And I just like started laughing. <laughs> I was like, yes, it's very fun. Julia, on August 1st, I think officially the First World War began. So we, some war happened on our birthday as well. Unavoidable, I guess, at some point. Kim. Yes. How do we use birthdays? I was thinking about 
birthdays as the days on which things are founded, because Nathan was talking about the founding of the Korean nation. And Derrida does have an essay where he talks about the violence that is inherent in any founding of an institution. Mm. And I wonder if he doesn't go there, but like, you know, psychoanalysts would probably go there. I'm sure Lacan has gone there talking about the violence of birth. There are a lot of power relations at play in pregnancy and birth to begin with. And there's a lot of anxiety because everybody's really worried about the child and pregnancy can be kind of dangerous for everyone involved. But also like pushing a seven pound object through a vagina is kind of painful, I've heard. Um, (laughs) They're not always seven pounds, but (laughs) I've heard they're kind of painful. And, you know, the psychoanalysts always imagine it from the perspective of the male child, right? So that's the foundational trauma of human existence is being ripped from the womb and you're always trying to get back to the womb. So birthdays are a celebratory, fun, festive moment in which we celebrate something that at the bottom of it is a trauma. And it gets us back to even one of the more foundational Freudian insights about the uncanny, where the thing is always its opposite down at the bottom. My mom always jokes on my birthday that it's like, it's not about me. It's like not my birthday. She's like, why are we not celebrating me for like pushing you out? (laughs) Like, this is my day, like not yours. But yeah, taking us out of this like earthly realm, I was thinking a lot about the app CoStar and the general renewed interest in astrology. So, okay, CoStar is an astrology app where you put in your birth date and your birth time and your birth location. And then the algorithm triangulates you with the stars and like they use NASA data to give you your whole natal chart and then because they're using this data it can like give you daily updates about how the planets are moving in relation to your birth date time and location a lot of pieces came out like around 2017 2018 in vogue or the new york times style section being like wow there's like this renewed interest in astrology and like we think it's because people are feeling extra stressed and there's like a lot going on and people want some kind of way to narrativize and put things into order and this all gets tied to Trump's election but I think it's more complicated than that because I remember astrology like being something people talked about in like 2014 or 15 I had like just graduated and I was temping and I was really bored at my job. So I started looking at what my natal chart was. And I feel like there's kind of this moment where right after the BuzzFeed quiz heyday, when BuzzFeed was literally just like quizzes all the time, that kind of ended and people started getting into astrology. So it predates this kind of narrative of election, but it is still tied, I think, to a narrative of stress and wanting some kind of guidance because I would say like 2015 16 is kind of when most people who are considered millennials we were at the age that one like might finish college and like be trying to find a job the thing that's interesting to me about CoStar is that a lot of these pieces were kind of talking about how 
in the time of the quantified self and like putting all of your information on the internet, people like maybe wanted something that was negating that or being like more general. So, okay, you have astrology where you get like categorized by your birth date into, but then we have this app that is like exciting to people because it is ultra personalized. And I feel like the amount of detail that CoStar gives you kind of like negates this narrative of we don't want to have a quantified self. But to me, it's something that is giving you a narrative framework with which to understand the data points that you've already plotted online. Julia, that's really interesting. What you're saying about the quantified itself, it's super quantified, right? Like you're putting in the time of your birth. I don't even know the time of my birth. Putting all of your information online and then what do you get in return? In this context, you're saying you get a narrative that is data-driven because one of the things you said that stood out was that it, they get this NASA data, right? So data data that has a imprimatur on it that says like, this is serious data, but it's serious data put to a narrative purpose. Yeah. And I mean, in fact, on their about us like hiring page, they have this quote, which I wrote down, which is we're merging the resonance of the humanities with the precision of technology. And I thought that was so creepy. (laughs) What's really interesting to me is I grew up in India. Astrology in India is a whole different ballgame. And, you know, it's, it's something that's absolutely central to the marriage market, for example. So people are matched according to astrological charts. You know, there are rituals to eradicate astrological harm before you get married, all sorts of things. And, and, you know, this results in violence oftentimes. So, you know, the whole like millennial co-star thing appears to me for that reason, somewhat funny, but I know it's not funny because what really fascinated me is that I kind of always think about astrology together with things like Myers-Briggs and a kind of designer self, so to speak. I don't want to kind of diss the entire thing because there are fun bits. Yeah. But anyway, Nathan, I was going to ask you, what's your take on astrology? Well, I think about CoStar in particular, the fact that we're giving them our personal information down to our birth time. And also the fact that like on the app, actually, you see like your friend's horoscopes and invites you to like add friends and put in your contacts i think and other things like it's pretty much like a social network um but unlike social networks like facebook where like you put in your information you get out a content and co-star you supposedly like you put in your information and you also get information about yourself like a recommendation for today like don't hang out with people who like onions or like random tidbits <laughs> like that that um kind of like a piece of advice that are supposedly the app telling you about your own identity so um, yeah. it kind of turns the social media game uh, on its head, I guess. I feel like this is a bad transition, but I still need to ask Shradik how birthdays saved the world. Yeah, they won't. Here I get all serious from all the fun and games. I think newness or the fetishization of newness does more harm than good. We can kind of chase this idea in, in, in several directions, but one of them is, you know, the fetishization of newness in consumerism. And I was thinking about the show Gilmore Girls. You know, I've seen consumerism on TV, but nothing like that show. And it's interesting because I love the writing. I mean, the writing is really good. But if you take as a premise that you are supposed to relate to the two lead characters, which is Lorelai and Rory, 
then you're just given this endless synonymization between being quirky and different and consumerism. This one scene I remember where Ori is coming back from DC, I think this this mock government competition, something. And the plane is delayed or something, and Lorelai is waiting in the airport to, you know, receive her. And it's delayed like an hour or two hours. And within that space, she has bought seven bags worth of airport stuff to give to Rory, who lives there. And the justification of that, she says, is that I was waiting. I didn't have anything else to do. Some of my friends, if they listen to this, will be surprised because I actually like the show, you know. But there's this, sometimes it gets a little nauseating the amount of waste that the show produces. Like they just keep buying things like without any rhyme or reason. And I do think that this newness instead of repair or newness instead of sustainable practices is, you know, doing a lot of harm, you know, most expansively climate change. John, can I ask you a question? Yes. What is the connection between birthdays and newness? I mean, I, I, I feel it, I see it, but can you tell me more about it? Right. So obviously when you age, you're not new anymore. But to put it very simply, I think it's a reminder of you were new once. It's a kind of reset. You make resolutions. And I think, you know, the idea of the reset is very, very dangerous. Case in point, Elon Musk. In general, I think the idea of reset instead of repair is so hazardous. I know I have gone on a tangent, Kim, and like this is not about birthdays, but I do think that I am going to try on my birthday to resolve not to do new things, but to repair old things. Nice. Yes, my question is, what if one thinks about a birthday as not a celebration of you were once new, but like a you are here, you are, you continue to be here. To me, I always think of it less as something about newness, but more about something about oldness, right? To me, when I think about birthdays, I think about being glad something isn't new, <laughs> like being glad you're like still here and still around and like we're all happy that you continue so, to be here. But you're also expected to buy new things. Uh, yeah. You know. No, I was going to equip that uh, maybe for my birthday. I would like people to repair things for me then instead of buying me anything new. <laughs> no, but I have a serious response that is about balancing Julia and Shanik's perspectives, um, which is I think birthdays are about striking a balance between birth and death. They're what mark the path between the birth date, the day upon which you were born and the death date, right? The Janus face, like looking in both directions occurs on the celebration of one's birth each year. No, I mean, you know, like the, obviously I, I can't conflate the idea of birthdays and the idea of newness insofar as like what it should be a celebration of. And I agree with Julia, it should be a celebration of, you know, things that are already there and things that we have to value because they're there and we have and not things that um, we have a hankering to bring into existence out of nothing. If listeners are kind of completely phased by the absolute uh, randomness of this conversation, this is, um, this is, what high theory was born for and um, <laughs> to, to, to converse tangentially and associatively. So I won't apologize. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think celebrating the growth of high theory, we should also thank our two amazing collaborators, Nathan yes. and Julia, for spending the past four months with us and thank you for so much. telling amazing. us their hey. ramblings about birthdays. Thank you so much. This was such a great experience. No, thank you guys. This was awesome. I'm so happy that I got to work with all of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy as well. Relationship has ended, but uh, friendships and relationships continue, I guess. Yeah. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharnik Bosu and Nathan Kim manage our social media presence. Julia Arian Martins edits our transcripts, and Owen Quinn composes our theme music. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.